For the time that is ours to share together, I want to talk a little bit about who is really blind. Who is really blind? I have to admit that I am a bit of a social media junkie. The the the. the Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, Tumblr, Blogger, I'm uh, 4chan, Reddit. I keep up with a lot that's going on, so much so that a lot of times I don't even really have to watch the news because somebody will have tweeted about it or somebody would have shared it on Reddit long before CNN or MSNBC or Fox has reported it. But because I am a social media junkie, I have not been on social media as much as I used to. Uh, Primarily because of this election cycle. I can't even get on LinkedIn which is supposed to be just about folks looking to make business deals and and look for jobs and and look for employers without somebody arguing about the politics. We all have opinions about a bunch of different things. We have uh, political opinions. We have religious opinions. We have cultural opinions, we have social opinions, we have opinions about issues, events, and people. And since these are our ideas, or we think they're our ideas, uh, nobody put these ideas in front of us and we just blindly accepted it, right? Um, Because we hold on to these ideas, because these ideas have come from us, of course we think that they are true. And we hold on to our ideas and our, uh, our positions even if facts get in the way of those things. You know, if someone were to say that someone wiretapped them and the facts showed that they were not and people would still hold on to that. If someone were to say someone had done something or done, or, or, or if a rumor were put out about someone, mm-hmm. about where they are, where they, who they've been with and where they're at, and, and it, it, they say that a lie can get out and run the world before the truth gets out of bed Amen. in the morning. Amen. And so they hold on to these things and, and they can become blind to the truth. And because they can become blind to the truth, they need to be awakened. Uh, So I avoid social media because I see that there are a great deal of people blinded. No matter what side of the argument they fall upon, they hold on to that position at all costs. 
and only hang around. See, that's one of the problems. I, I admit that I am a social media junkie. Well, one of the problems about being a social media junkie and a, the, one of the problems about really being on social media in general is that you can be blinded to differing opinions. Uh, I love technology. Technology put food on the table and clothes on my back for a great deal of time. But I also understand that before technology, we had to get out and talk to people. Amen. We had to talk to people face to face. And so some of the stuff that you would be willing to say behind the keyboard, you most certainly could not say it to somebody's face. And so this technology has allowed us to, if we have somebody that disagrees with us, we can block them. If we have somebody that doesn't hold our same religious position, we can block them. If they don't hold our same political position, we can block them, we can mute them, we can ignore them, and only constantly feed ourselves those who think and act and talk just like us. Because we, we immediately discard the things that don't confirm our bias. And, and, and this time, this, this, this age that we're in is moving further and further towards division and, and people are starting to experience what they call in psychology cognitive dissonance. It's the mental stress or the discomfort experienced by a person who simultaneously holds two or more contradictory beliefs, ideas, or values when performing an action that contradicts existing beliefs, ideas, or values, or when they are confronted with new information that contradicts the existing beliefs. So when they have a belief and somebody puts certain information in front of them, and they get that mental, mental stress from doing. I'm going to try to make it plain. Let's say you are unabashedly pro-life. But if that life happens to grow up and become black or gay or Muslim, now you want them to die. And when somebody puts that in front of you, how is it that you can say you're pro-life and all life has rights, but when an unarmed man is, the unarmed young black man is killed just for being black and being in the wrong neighborhood at the wrong time, how can you say you're pro-life when you also say that this thug needed to die? Cognitive dissonance. You can say you want to lose weight. But every Tuesday, you are at the Popeyes ordering multiple two pieces because it's two piece Tuesday. You can say you want to lose weight, but when presented with that crispy fried chicken, and that biscuit with the honey on it. Cognitive dissonance. You holding two conflicting views at the same time. And then you can have what they call a consonant relationship 
which means they're consistent with each other. So say you're trying to cut back on alcohol, but you still decide to go out with your partners while they drink and you just going to order water. That's consonant or relationship. You can have an irrelevant relationship with it as well, where, where they, they have these things that are unrelated, and so you, you, not, you don't want to be out with something, and, and there could be something else related to it, like you may not like a certain type of food, and so you put those two things together that don't have anything to do with it, and you can have a dissonant relationship, so when anybody mentions going out to drink, you get mad and go the opposite way, but you still have these conflicts that are in, and that's what happened in the text. We are looking at the basis of a conflict, a, a, a cognitive dissonance, people holding on to a belief, even when the information that is presented right in front of them right. says the exact opposite. Uh, the, and it starts, even though I read chapter, uh, the verse 13 through 25, this whole story encompasses the entire chapter of, the, of, of, of John 9. And it starts when Jesus and the disciples are walking around and they see a man that has been born blind. And they ask, which person sinned? The man or his parents? The disciples first looked at the man. And then they looked beyond the blind man because they had an understanding that if you do good, you get good. And if you do bad, you get bad. And that's a pretty basic understanding of things, but sometimes it does not apply. Because even though this man was born blind, it was not anything to do with the particular sin of his parents or the sin of the man. But that's how church folk do sometimes. These are the church folk asking who sinned, this man or his parents. These are the church folk asking, why is this person in this condition? This is the church folk asking or saying that somebody needs to get cleaned up before they come in here. They've got this, and Jesus tells them neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. And night is coming where no man can work, and while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So the man was not born blind out of sin, but this situation was here to teach the people. I've said time and time again that in the gospel according to John, which I happen to be partial to, there are no miracles. There are signs, and these signs are here to point you in the right direction. And so here is Jesus about to perform a sign. And so he makes some mud and puts it on this man's eyes and tells him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And he is healed. Sometimes we can be focused on the wrong things. Uh, this entire chapter 41 verses, the actual healing, the sign that is performed is two verses. But the drama that is surrounding this sign takes up the entire chapter. You spend one, you spend one minute doing something and you spend another year talking about it. Uh, and so he tells them to go into the pool, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And this word means sent. And so the man went and washed here you have a miracle being performed. Here you have a sign being performed, and there is a pattern. Uh, anytime God made a miracle, there were instructions to be followed. Anytime God performs a miracle, there are instructions to be followed. 
They say that the third time's a charm. Anytime God performs a miracle, there are instructions to be followed. You go throughout the Bible and look at all the miracles that are performed. God or the prophet or somebody is telling them to do something. If you want a miracle to happen in your life, how far are you willing to go? Are we going to sit around on the couch and say, God, I need a miracle? Are we going to get out there and do something about it? There are instructions to be formed. Yes, indeed, God, could, Jesus could have very easily just laid his hands on the eyes of the man and he, been, and, and he had been blind and get his sight, but there's, a, there's an investment in it. Uh, the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. You want that beings. But do you want that note? We don't even have to talk about the note because let's say you were blessed with a Benz that you were able to pay with cash. Have you ever tried to change the oil on a Benz? I'm going to help you out with it. You can't take it to the 1999 quick lube shop to get that changed. You want to improve your grades, but you don't want to study. You want to lose that weight, but you don't want to get off the couch. You want to have more money in your bank account, but every time there's a sale at needlessly marked up, AKA Neiman Marcus, you're there. Is the microphone still, hello, hello, check, check, two, two. You want these things to happen in your life, but you operate opposite of how it really gets happened. So this gave this man an opportunity to display his faith. It gave him an opportunity to follow the instructions. It gave him an opportunity to get some skin in the game. I follow a lot of investors, and one of them that I particularly like, and I would consider him the most successful investor in the world, is uh, Warren Buffett. He's got a company by the name of Berkshire Hathaway. You want to buy a share of Berkshire Hathaway, you need to take out a loan, because he's never done a stock split. And so at any given time, one share of Berkshire Hathaway stock can cost seventy dollars to $80,000. Because he knows how to pick companies that are going to win. He knows how to pick the companies that are going to be successful and he buys them and, and lets them do what they need to do in order to continue to make money because it makes money for everybody. But one thing that I like about uh, Warren Buffett when he invests, he not only invests the company money, he puts some of his own money in the game. Uh, he likes to say in his letters, we eat our own cooking. It's one thing to cook something for a bunch of other people and let them eat it and not taste it yourself. But if you got to partake in it, you're going to make sure it's good. You're going to make sure it's not going to hurt you. You're going to make sure that it meets the needs that you desire. And so when we do this, we have these miracles that are being performed. When we have these things that we want God to operate in our lives and these things that we want God to move on, how much work are we willing to do for ourselves? And so Jesus gives this man new vision. 
I say he gives a new vision. He doesn't give him sight because he never had sight to begin with. He gives him new vision. And because he gives him new vision, he runs into some problems. You already had one group of church folk hating on the man that was born blind. Enter in another group of church folk hating on him because you know we don't just stop with one church hater. We got groups of church haters that sometimes hate each other. But sometimes they will come together when they find a common enemy. And so all these Pharisees came together because they did not like the change. People don't handle change well. They resist it. They doubt it. They want to live in how things used to be. Your friends love you when you hang out on the corner with them doing nothing. But not so much when you decide to go back to school and finish. Not so much when you decide you want to go get a master's degree. Not so much when, they, when you decide you want to work a couple extra hours and get some overtime so you can save some money up for something. They don't like it when you change the way you operate. Because they've been used to you operating at a particular level. And when you adapt, you're going to, when you adapt and elevate, you're going to encounter some resistance. But they always try to stop the person in sports. That's the most vicious threat to score. And so when you make these changes, they resist it. You try to grow and people have a problem with it. The man that was born blind was in a particular situation, a particular position in society because he was blind. And it's blatant discrimination, but that's what was going on. He was blind, and so they treated those who were crippled or those who had some sort of defect a different way. And now that he no longer has that defect because Jesus has gave him new vision, they have had some issues with that, and they're trying to change it. To the fact that when we go to verse 9 in the text, it says some claim he only looks like him. But he insisted himself that I am the man. The fact that he was gone went from being blind to being seen. So many people said you ain't him. You've got to be something different. You've got, that's not the man I used to know. That's not the man that used to hang out with us. That's not the little crippled person that was on the side. That's not the boy that couldn't read. That's not the girl that I thought was too fast. That's not the guy that I thought would never get promoted. That's not the woman I thought to take care of herself. They have a certain vision of it, and they don't like the change. But the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All the old things have passed away. So if they don't see you the same, that's a good thing. Jesus gave the man new vision. And the parents, when they sit there, when we get to the part and you're reading, they called, they asked him what he did. And he said, he put the mud on me and I washed my eyes and I can see. And that's where we get to the part that was read in your hearing. The Pharisees now have some interrogation to do. Uh, first the neighbors interrogated him and now the, the Pharisees are going to interrogate him as well. And the Pharisees had a problem with it. And the, and the parents were scared. That's why they said you can ask him he's of age because they were worried about being put out the synagogue. It says in the New International Version being put out the synagogue. But the word that was used, the phrase that is more like excommunication. There were some things that the church at this time had wrong. There were some things that the church at this time had right. And one of the things that they had right was community. Uh, my professor says all the time, you can't be a Christian outside of community. Uh, James tells us that true religion is to take care of the widows and the orphans. 
take care of those who cannot take care of themselves. Everybody needs to make sure how, that everybody else is doing all right. And so the parents were worried about being excommunicated. And so this getting put out the synagogue is not really just you need to find a new church home. This is being put out of the community. That's why they were worried. And the Pharisees actually did not have a problem with the man. They addressed the man, but they didn't have a problem with the man, or at least they didn't realize that they didn't have a problem with the man. They had a problem. They didn't even have a problem with what Jesus did. They had a problem with Jesus himself. Uh, the, the, the disciples and the Pharisees were looking for the sin in the matter, and the, the disciples thought that the sin was either in the parents and the man, but the Pharisees, they overlooked all of that. They were worried about Jesus breaking a technicality. Uh, they did not care about the man who was healed. They were all concerned about the healer. Kind of like if you were to, I don't know, set up a business or... I don't know, maybe pass a law and then people will go out their way to try to destroy everything that was built up during that time with no actual replacement in place for what you were looking to destroy. The problem was not with what was set up. The problem then was with the man and they went to the point that they were looking at Jesus and they decided that Jesus had broke a rule. He had the audacity, the unmitigated nerve to heal somebody on the Sabbath. I wonder, since they did not focus on the healed man and were looking for a way to find uh, sin in the one that performed the healing, I wonder if Jesus came back right now, would we recognize him? If Jesus came back Right now, would Jesus recognize his church? We've done an excellent job of putting up rules and, and organizations and committees and denominations and divisions and, and debates about doctrine and all of these different things. And I don't know if Jesus would recognize it. I have a professor that says all the time, if Jesus came back right now, he couldn't even be a professor at this seminary. We've taken something that was meant to be a community of people working together regardless of size. And we figured out ways to divide each other. Black and white. Rich and poor. Traditional versus contemporary. Uh, those who are, pro provide a more secular approach. Uh, we've, we've divided over whether or not we think women should be in the pulpit. We've divided over whether or not we what we think baptism should be. We've divided whether or not on whether we think what kind of educational requirements you should yeah. be a pastor. We've divided over whether or not women, men and women can sit together in the same congregation. We've divided over everything you can possibly divide over. And so I wonder if Jesus came back, would he recognize his church. And so these Pharisees here were caught up in this rule about the Sabbath. Uh, instead of being grateful for this supernatural work that God had done, God's grace abound, they were haggling over the observance of the Sabbath. They were worried about this, 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 this fourth commandment that was put out and not one of the actions that he did. Uh, wetting up the mud, applying the mud, 
telling the man to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Not one of those things uh, 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 broke the rule. Healing a blind man, none of that broke a rule for the Sabbath. But they were still trying as hard as they could to figure out a way to say that he broke a rule on the Sabbath because they had these rules with the Sabbath. It was supposed to be, the Sabbath is supposed to be about family time and rest. You're supposed to be taking Shabbat. You're supposed to be at home not doing any work when you take a Sabbath. You're supposed to be resting, taking care of each other. But so many people got out of the way and got these rules involved so that they interpreted it. Like you look at Exodus 35 and, and Moses said you're not supposed to do work on the Sabbath. And that meant you weren't supposed to light a fire. Because lighting a fire during those times would be work. And so that, that got put in modern day times about working electricity. And so you'll have in some households Sabbath compliant appliances that are able to cook and wash and, and, and clean and do all these things, but the person does not actually have to push a button because that would be technically lighting a fire like it was now. And so they follow these rules. And when you go into Sabbath compliant buildings on a Saturday and you go into an elevator, that elevator is going to stop at every floor because that prevents somebody who's orthodox from following or breaking the commandment. Because if they were to push a button, that would create a spark and that would light a fire. And so they, they've got all these rules in place. And even though they've got all these rules in place, Jesus still didn't break any of them. And even though he didn't break any of them, people still had a problem with it. We love our lists. We love our lists and we love our restrictions. We can tell you a million things about what we're not supposed to do. But it's rare to talk about what we're supposed to do. Uh, we like our lists. You go to the grocery store now, you'll see on stuff, no MSG, gluten-free, dye-free, Chemical free, but the funny thing about all of that is most of the time that stuff never had any of that in there to begin with. <laughs> but if I tell you that this laundry detergent is dye free, you're more willing to buy it. If I tell you that this bread is gluten free, even though you don't have a gluten allergy to begin with, <laughs> you're going to buy it because it's perceived to be healthy. If you say there's no MSG in, this, in these chips that you're going to get, more people are willing to buy it, although the MSG that caused problems was outlawed a long time ago. But if I tell you, it's kind of like putting fat free on a bottle of water. But when you do that, that catches people's attention. We've gotten to, we've perfected the art of nitpicking. Uh, they've perfected it, and it's funny because nitpicking, while it's an insult, used to be a good thing. Um, nitpicking, although we, uh, I doubt many of us in our community have experienced this, but nitpicking had to do with getting lice in your hair. And I know certain people of a certain social location 
like to put certain products in their hair that makes it hard for lice to hang on to the hair. So when, when you got grease in your head or, 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 or certain other products, pink lotion or some natural cream, it gets real hard. So just follow me while I talk about lice for a little bit. Just in, the, 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 the nitpicking was used to get rid of lice eggs. And they were small and fine, and so you had to have a really fine-tooth comb, and you had to look through each one, and that became a skill because you were able to find the, the lice eggs were extremely small. And so that's what nitpicking was. But unfortunately, we perfected nitpicking to the point that we demonstrate this skill, this ability to find the minor flaw in something, not only in somebody's head yes. that is suffering from lice, but we found it in other people's lives. Yes. Yes. Every situation, nitpickers are always finding something wrong when, rather than finding something right. They can't enjoy anything, especially anything that has a flaw in it, because they have the gotcha moment that they have to look for. I'm a bit of a nitpicker. My very first job out of college, I spent my life time during that period uh, going through hundreds and hundreds of pages of medical records looking for a capital S because this company had made a faulty breast implants and so many people sued them that they had to file bankruptcy and set up the insurance payment for a trust fund and my job was to look at it and say yes you could get paid no you can't get paid Yes, you can get paid if you fix these one or two things. And one of the things I had to look for was a capital S on the word celastic. Because they argued that if you used the capital S on the word celastic, you were talking about the brand. And if you used the lowercase s, you were talking about just in general. Like somebody will say, hand me a Coke, and they give you a Pepsi. Somebody say, hand me a Kleenex, and they give you an off-brand name, Tissue. The name had become synonymous with the entire industry, and they were arguing that. And so I'd go through hundreds and hundreds of medical records looking for a capital S instead of a lowercase s. So I can nitpick. But we are always looking for those things. You have to learn when the nitpicking is not necessary. And so they, they, they nitpicked at these rules. They nitpicked at this man. They nitpicked at these parents. They nitpicked at the man again. And they, they interrogated him because they were looking for a way that they could nitpick at Jesus. They had had these rules in place, but the man said, I don't know about all that. Let me tell you what I know. I once was blind, but now I see. I don't know about all these 600 laws you done put in place and worried about Jesus trying to break them. I once was blind, but now I see. I don't know about all this nitpicking you're doing about this man, but he must be a man of God because only a man of God would be willing to do this. And I know this because I once was blind, but now I see. I don't know much, but I do know this, that Jesus came down here out of eternity to save a sin-sick soul. 
to save a sin-sick world, to give us all an opportunity to have access to heaven. So we all once were blind, but now we see amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. But now I'm fine. Was blind, but now I see. I, you can tell me a bunch of stuff, but I know if you wake me up at 3 o'clock in the morning, I can tell you about the goodness of Jesus. I may not be able to tell you a bunch of other stuff, but I can tell you that because I once was blind, but now I see. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come. <laughs>